Hello there. I'd like to explore today in our podcast the concept of faith and what God says around faith. Faith is, of course, the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. God says in Hebrews 11, 1, that faith is, quote, the assurance that what we hope for will come about and the certainty that what we cannot see exists, unquote. The world talks about believing in yourself or trusting the experts on occasion, and there is some utility in that. But my main point during this podcast is that faith is actually something much more than a self-pep talk. When I say faith during this podcast, what I'm talking about is completely believing that God means what he says every time. When Hebrews 11 says that faith is a certainty that what we cannot see exists, Christians get a lot of bullying over that. Like people will say, aren't you cute with your imaginary friend? Or they will say something passively aggressive like, we believe that science is real. When that happens, maybe this is one way that you could explain faith to the bullies out there. There are hundreds of things an atheist has never seen that he has faith in. Hundreds. Everything from his own ancestry to the reality of love. Love is not something that has protons and mass, right? But love and our ancestry, we have never seen. We know those exist because it is ridiculous, the amount of evidence all day, every day around those things. So if you listen to my second podcast called Ladies and Gentlemen of the Jury, I Rest My Case, you can hear in 23 minutes my explanation of the ridiculous amount of evidence that God not only exists, but also answers prayer. So please, please listen to that. We'll get into a little of it in a few moments. When Hebrews 11 says, having certainty about what we cannot see exists, it reminds me of the trust falls that we used to do like when we were kids. Remember trusting your friends to catch you if you let yourself fall backward into the unseen? Here's my question. In whose arms shall we release our trust falls in life? And everyone has trust falls into their worldview, don't they? Like everyone. Hebrews 1.18.11 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Listen, if you're determined to be an atheist, I get the social benefits and temporary perks of that worldview. And I realize there is no amount of logic or evidence that I or anyone else will ever be able to offer that will convince you. But before you die and wake up in the next world for good, I'm inviting you today to take a second look. Take another honest look at the complexity and perfect harmony of creation. It is testimony enough to trust fall into the arms of the creator because not only does he exist, Romans 1, but obviously he is an all-knowing genius or omniscient as Psalms 147.5 says. Only God is all-powerful or omnipotent, Matthew 19.36. Only God can be with you everywhere you go or is omnipresent, Proverbs 15.3. So in whom are you going to put your faith? We trust God because only God is entirely worthy of our trust. 
The most studious human beings can only know so much. And even the most intelligent scientists are constantly discovering new things and coming back to us and saying things like, sorry for the officially published information that we now realize is bogus. And that's in all kinds of fields of science from what we should and shouldn't eat and so on. In fact, you can Google this. It's Discover Magazine has this article that's called 20 of the Greatest Blunders in Science in the Last 20 Years. And keep in mind that these are just the top 20. There's a lot of other competition on which mistakes to choose for that list. Science gets a lot of things right, but I'm just saying science is just man figuring out some of God's wisdom. So don't stake your souls on man's wisdom instead of God's. Even the best human beings we love can only do so much to help us because they have so little in their control. Like human beings can only be in one place at one time. And it is sometimes nowhere near where you need them to be (laughs) in your time of needs. Not so with God. Only God has the omniscience, the omnipotence, and the omnipresence necessary to give direction and catch our trust falls in life. I mean, don't forget about his track record. For example, how well is his law of universal gravitation working for you? Do you get some good use out of gravity? Can you imagine if everything floated around like us, like it does in space? How long is it going to take to go grocery shopping or to make dinner without gravity? (laughs) And that's one of his perfect scientific laws. So here's my point. His written moral laws are absolutely as wise as his scientific laws. Take, for example, his ultra unpopular laws around human sexuality. Who are you going to listen to on this topic? Oh, you can do your little breakdance and twisting interpretations to try to explain away everything he says on the matter, but he means what he says, every word of it. So who are you going to believe? Who are you going to put your faith in? Well, if you listen to what God says on this one topic, that is saving sex exclusively for one man and one woman in a covenanted relationship for life. If everyone did that, do you realize that in one generation, pornography no longer exists. Sex trafficking disappears. AIDS is wiped out forever. In fact, not one person ever contracts a sexually transmitted disease again. And then we all have this healthcare money that we could spend to cure diabetes, heart disease, cancer, instead of what sexually transmitted diseases costs our nation in tax dollars. And not only that, almost every child is not murdered before birth. Almost every child born has both a father and a mother for life. So now kids are less angry for being abandoned. The welfare system is freed up. And what good could America do with all of those funds now freed up? We could better clean up the oceans and the air with that money. God's moral laws work as well as gravity. That's my point. God has all the solutions from raising children to how to keep marriages warm and fulfilling to how to prevent and resolve conflict. His moral laws are so flawless that the ratio of painful social problems in any culture will always be in direct proportion to how closely we live our lives by God's moral law. 
So here's what some bullies will argue here. Oh yeah, living by the New Testament prevents violence and chaos. What about the holy wars of the Catholic Church? My answer is simple. That was not Christianity. That was Catholicism. And Jesus said, quote, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, unquote. John 18:36. Some of my favorite people in the world are Catholic. They have done a lot of good in this world. And I love Catholics enough to say this. There is no pope, nuns, rosary beads, infant baptism, cardinals, monasteries. And in fact, Jesus said to call no man father in the scriptures. None of that's in the Bible. And in fact, Jesus had brothers and sisters, according to Mark 6, 3, because Joseph only kept Mary a virgin until Jesus was born, Matthew 1, 25. So there is no perpetual virginity in the Bible. So again, who are you going to believe? The only Christianity I endorse is pre-Catholic, pre-denominational Christianity before man-made doctrines and traditions muddied the waters of pristine, first century, authentic Christianity, before all the added teachings and the fancy bells and whistles of today's theatrics and performances have made Christianity into big business. I mean, Jesus flipped over money changers in the temple over that. So I think that speaks for itself. So getting back to how God is right every time on a hunter topics, Everything from human sexuality to how church should look, from its teachings on salvation to its power structure to how it worships. Who are you going to trust? And before you yell back, Ghostbusters, you might as well trust Ghostbusters if you're going to trust your favorite celebrity or your college professor to form your morality and your worldview. So, Here's what makes more sense. When you read something in scripture that contradicts a destructive personal habit you enjoy or something your denomination teaches or something your culture is screaming at you from every direction, who are you going to believe, God or man? 1 Corinthians 2.5 says, our faith is best placed in the power of God than in the wisdom of man. God's children believe every word out of the mouth of God because he's the one who holds the universe together. Because we believe every single word in the Bible to be true, no matter how much we're bullied over it. We don't care. We believe the Bible to be true, not because we need a crutch to get through life or we need this some kind of imaginary friend to feel supported. We believe the Bible to be true because of the redemption ridiculous amount of undeniable evidence in the form of pre-scientific foreknowledge of the scriptures. If you don't know what pre-scientific foreknowledge is, go to Nomad You and I and download there for free an eight page or so timeline that my friend Monique Ward and I made that shows just when scientific discoveries caught up with what God already said in scripture on scientific truths. Like archaeology proves how old the book of Job is when God says, quote, he hangs the earth on nothing, Job 26, 7. And archaeology proves how old the book of Isaiah is when God says he sits above the circle of the earth, Isaiah 40, 22. Apologeticspress.org is probably an even better source for these truths or discovery.org. 
If you are a believer, you're already like, yep. If you're an unbeliever and you dig deep into the archaeological facts of the dates of written prophecies when God said, for example, that a thriving nation was going to fall and boom, it's wiped out. Or the specific prophecies about Jesus, like when and where he would be born or how many pieces of silver his betrayer would sell him for and then realize that every single one of them was fulfilled. I mean, it's beyond uncanny. Dig all that evidence out if you are an agnostic and at the very least, it will royally creep you out. That's why all that objective evidence is there to scare us straight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge after all. And if that's not enough, will an atheist please explain to me how the following story happens? It's something that I witnessed firsthand, and it was my own mother praying, praying, praying earnestly to the God of the Bible in around 1983, when there were, incidentally, about 4 billion people on the planet. She prayed that she could find my adopted brother's birth family, and within months, my brother is sitting down at a picnic table across from a guy he just met playing cards, and someone walks by and jokes that they look like brothers. They laugh it off but casually stay on the topic long enough to realize the dates and places line up exactly. They are in meltdown mode in shock and call both the birth mother and my mother and the moms about pass out and birth records are later confirmed that these two were brothers. The odds were more than one in four billion because you'd have to multiply how many people were, let's just say in America at the time, by however many topics of conversation exist in the world because two people could totally be related but never realize it because they might be talking about a thousand other things, right? So ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I rest my case. And that is the name of the podcast on Nomads You and I. If you'd like to hear that whole story slowed down and in more detail, it's called Ladies and Gentlemen of the Jury, I Rest My Case. God exists and God answers prayer. There's just too much evidence constantly coming in to every sensory organ you and I have to move us to not trust human wisdom over God's wisdom. And a lifetime of denying that evidence that comes every day into our eyes and ears is why Romans 11, 20 through 23 says that unbelief breaks off our relationship with God. But belief belief can restore that relationship. If you are ready to become a Christian, become a Christian in the way that Jesus himself said in Mark 16, 16, when he said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, unquote. The Holy Spirit through the apostles says in Acts 2 that repentance and baptism is what God expects believers to do in order to be forgiven. In fact, in Colossians 2.12, it says, when we are baptized, we are expressing our faith in God's ability to raise us to a new life, just as he raised Christ to his new life after his death and burial. Do you see that gorgeous symbolism in that? The first time you were born, there was water involved. And just like that, your new life starts after you are raised from the waters of spiritual baptism by immersion. If you've not done that, private message us here at Nomads You and I, and we will find someone to help you out wherever you are. So shifting gears for a moment. 
what blessings are enjoyed by those who trust God. So here are two handfuls, 10 altogether. The first blessing comes out of Proverbs 29, 25, which says, quote, whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe, unquote. You know what I love most about that? I love that our trust in God doesn't just make us feel safe. It actually makes us safe. How so? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 explains God saved you by his grace when you believed. And Romans 5, 1 says, we have been made right in God's sight by faith so that now we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. See what I mean? We don't just feel safe. We are safe. And there is a world of difference between feeling and being. New Age unbelievers do a lot of guided meditation and breathing and chanting to feel peace. And it's way better, my listeners, to be safe than to feel safe. And I'm offering you today real peace because a blessed reality is way better than feelings. Here's the beautiful part. His real safety so puts our hearts at rest that as Psalms 127 says, God's people, quote, will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord, unquote. You know why God's people are not afraid? Christians are not afraid because God is a shield to those who trust him. Proverbs 30 verse 5, trusting the Lord fixes and establishes our hearts so that we are not afraid. The next blessing of faith is that faith gives life. Jesus said clearly, quote, the one who believes in me will live, unquote, John eleven twenty five. 25. And life is good. God himself says faith is what keeps us alive. And for that reason, faith is a matter of life and death. Of course, James 2.24 plainly states that we by no means live by faith alone, but certainly faith is the component of many that God has chosen to save us. And here's the loveliest part of all to me. Jesus said he came that we might have life and that we have might have it more abundantly, John 10.10. 10. The next blessing of faith is that mercy encompasses and surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Psalms 32.10 says, quote, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the ones who trust in him. How badly do you need the mercy of the one who holds your eternal destiny in his hand? I'm encouraging you to trust this merciful God trust that he means what he says and live a life that shows that you believe what he has said so that instead of having the many woes of the wicked, you can instead enjoy being surrounded with his unfailing love. You and I are going to need his mercy. You and I are going to need his mercy at all kinds of moments on the daily, but especially during times of deep loss. Faith prepares us for those darkest of days, and every bad experience can be used to draw nearer to God and grow the virtues that prepare us for an eternity with him. For the Christian, God says to die is gain, Philippians 1, 21 through 23. So because of God's great mercy, we are even at peace with our mortality. 
So we are not even afraid of the pandemic. Life is good, but eternity with God is indescribable, Romans 8.18, and far better, according to Philippians 1.23. So the fourth blessing of faith is that even during dark, difficult times, God will make fruitful the faithful. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 puts it this way, quote, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He is like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots toward the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes, and its leaves are always green. It does not worry in a year of drought, nor does it cease to produce fruit, unquote. So see how it works. Our faith gives our lives the spiritual roots that tap into the living water that sustain us. That's some gorgeous imagery as seen in Colossians 1.23 when it says faith is something that if we continue to choose to stay in it, our lives become grounded. When everyone else is withering under the strain of life, you can stay green and you can stay faithful. And I think those fruits of the spirit become spiritual nourishment for the others suffering around you and I. The fifth blessing of faith is not being ashamed. Romans 9.33 is the verse that teaches us, quote, whoever believes in him shall not be ashamed, unquote. Why? Because instead of wasting our lives on mere shallow or self-serving pursuits, many of which can leave a trail of pain and hurt people. Instead, we've fulfilled our purpose for having been created by returning the love back to God that he has showered upon us. And in the course of living life God's way, our lives are spent not in selfish, humiliating things, but in making this life and the one to come a far better place for ourselves and everyone open to your and my influence. The sixth blessing of faith is that faith moves mountains. Jesus says in Matthew 7.20, quote, Truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you, unquote. So you've got a mountain to move, right? I know you've got a mountain to move. And one reason for being assigned that mountain is so that you can show others how to move that mountain by faith so that God gets the glory. So how are you going to overcome that biggest obstacle in your life? Is it going to be today's new age ideas of self-empowerment? That would be great if you were omnipotent, but since you're not and your Heavenly Father is, no matter what that mountain is, maybe a horrible diagnosis, maybe it's rebellious children, maybe it's bankruptcy or an adulterous spouse or worse, whatever it is, you can, through faith, move your mountain through the strength that God supplies. Move that mountain, my listeners, one faith-filled step at a time. Your faith accomplishes the most unthinkable things, Jesus says in Mark 9, 23, when he says, all things are possible to him who believes, unquote. One of the most empowering chapters in the Bible is the record of all those things that were accomplished by faith in Hebrews 11. Just look at the verbs in that chapter and you will see everything from closing the mouths of lions to the life of a prostitute being saved when she sides with God's people. Verse six says, quote, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because 
anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, unquote. The faith-filled people in this chapter were so honored by God that God says he considers the world not worthy of them. And that is amazing to be that honored by God. Our seventh blessing of faith is answered prayer. God promises that when we are living by faith and pray earnestly, Luke 18, 3, that he hears and grants our requests when we pour our hearts out before his merciful throne without doubting his ability to answer our prayers, James 1, 6. So when a request of ours is in another's best spiritual interest and is according to his perfect will and does not conflict with eternal principles such as everyone having a free will, God often says yes to our prayers. And I would suggest consider keeping a prayer journal and watch for how often God says yes. I've been doing that for about 12 years now, and it has so increased my faith and reminds me to thank him for what he is doing in my life. The eighth blessing of faith is that our trust in God becomes our greatest source of joy. There is so much joy related to things that God has given us, like being involved with the single most relevant cause that there's ever been on the planet, and that is Christianity. Um, the joy of having a church family to worship alongside or to lean on during setbacks or celebrate the happiest moments with. The joy of how faithfulness to God creates happier marriages and often results in better behaved children. I mean, I could go on for a week, but Psalms 511 connects trust in God with joy when it says, quote, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever sing for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you, unquote. Christianity is such a joy that even when Christianity leads to suffering, which it very well may in the near future, the apostles had a mind so fixed on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, that being flogged, they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. Acts 5, 40 through 41. Hallelujah. The ninth blessing of faith is victory. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 reminds us that life is a spiritual combat, but it is our faith in Christ that will protect our souls during this spiritual combat, just as a breastplate protects a soldier in war. Ephesians 6. No wonder 1 Timothy 6, 12 calls the Christian life the good fight of faith. Let's soldier on. Success over every trial and temptation is ours by faith and the strength that God supplies. 1 John 5, 4 says, quote, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, unquote. So the tenth and final blessing of faith I'd like to talk about tonight is the blessing of inheriting God's promises. In Hebrews 6.12, we learn that it is because of our faith and patience that we will inherit his promises. Don't miss heaven, my dear listeners. Jesus said, quote, I go to prepare a place for you, unquote. John 14.3. And the Father promises that we will see him face to face and that he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Revelation 21.4 
in his right hand are pleasures forever. Psalm 1611. Don't miss that for anything, friend. Do not miss heaven. So I'm going to conclude this podcast with a handful of ways that you can tell if you are living by faith. Galatians 5.22 explains that faith is a result or the fruit of God's spirit in us. So one way to tell if you are living by faith is if you have been baptized because God says in Acts 2.38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, unquote. Trust what God says his plan is for saving you no matter what anyone else says his plan is for saving you. He's the savior, so he gets to choose the plan. Here's another way to tell if you are living by faith. James 2 explains that faith, if it is not accompanied by action or is without deeds, is dead. So you can tell if you are living by faith if your actions and deeds in life are a result of doing what God says we are to do and not doing what God says we are not to do. Ask God's help in this area because Ephesians 2.13 says, It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So ask him to put within you every day a burning desire to do his will alone. And then use your free will to resist entertaining any other option than doing his will. It's why 1 John 3, 3 tells us that everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Here's the last test that I'll offer on this podcast to check if you are living by faith. In Hebrews 10, 38, God says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Are you shrinking back from your trust in God because of what you are hearing and seeing around you? Maybe you could listen more to God than the present culture so your faith won't die. What would your faith look like if you read and pondered your Bible more than any other media? I mean, can you imagine? So as we close, it's worth asking yourself, in what area of your life at present do you most need to trust God and let faith flip that anxiety switch off in your brain? Let's choose faith over anxiety. Let's choose faith over instant gratification. Let's choose faith over convenience. Let's choose faith over being socially trendy. And if we must, let's choose faith even over life itself. We will be true to him till death, won't we? I treasure you all, my listeners, and I'm thanking you so much for all the good feedback. And I invite you to join us on all our future podcasts. God bless.